Welcome to the fourth part of the autobiography of Gandhi ji. This is chapter number eight and episode number four. I have still to relate some of my failings during this meat eating period of mine and also previous to eat which date from before my marriage or soon after. A relative of my, a relative and I became fond of smoking. Not that we saw any good in smoking, but or were enamored of the smell of a cigarette. We simply imagined some a sort of pleasure in emitting clouds of smoke from our mouths. My uncle had the habit, and when we saw him smoking, we thought we should copy his, his example. But we had no money, so we began pilfering stumps of cigarettes thrown away by my uncle. The stumps, however, what were not always available and could not emit much smoke either. So we began to steal coppers from the servants' pocket money in order to purchase Indian cigarettes. But the question was where to keep them. We could not, of course, smoke in front in presence of elders. We managed to somehow for a few weeks on these stolen coppers. In the meanwhile, we heard that the, that the stalks of a certain plant was porous, were porous and could be smoked for cigarettes. We got them and began this kind of smoking. But we were far from being satisfied with such things as these. Our want of independence began to smart. It was, an un it was unbearable that we should be unable to do anything without the elders' permissions. At last, in sheer disgust, we decided to commit suicide. But how were we to do it? From where we were to get the poison? We heard that Datura seeds were an, were an effective poison. Off we went to the jungle in search of these seeds and got them. Evening was thought to be the auspicious hour. hour. We went to the Kedarji Mandir put ghee in the temple lamps, had the darshan and looked for a lonely corner. But our courage failed us. Supposing we were not instantly killed and what was the good of killing ourselves? Why not rather put up with the lack of independence? But we swallowed two or three of the seeds nevertheless. We dared not to take more. Both of us fought shy of death and decided to go to Ramji Mandir to compose ourselves and to dismiss the thought of suicide. I realized that it was not easy, as easy to commit suicide as to contemplate it. And since then, Whenever I have, heard, I have heard of someone threatening to commit suicide, it 
has had little or no effect on me. The thought of suicide ultimately resulted in both of us bidding goodbye to the habit of smoking stumps of cigarettes and of killing the servants' coppers for the purpose of smoking. Ever since I have been a grown-up, I have never desired to smoke and have always regarded the habit of smoking as barbarous, dirty and harmful. I have never understood why there is such a rage for smoking throughout the world. I cannot bear to travel in a, a, a compartment full of smokers. I become choked. But many more serious than this was than this theft was the one I was guilty of being a little later. I pilfered the coppers when I was 12 or 13, probably less. The other theft was committed when I was 15. In this case, I stole a bit of gold out of my meat-eating brother's omelet. This brother had run into a debt of, uh, of about 25 rupees. He, add, he had on his arm an omelet of solid gold, but it was not difficult to clip a bit out of it. Well, it was done and the debt was cleared, but this became more than what I could bear. I resolved never to steal again. I also made up my mind to confess it to my father, but I did not dare to speak. Not that I was afraid of my father beating me. No, I do not recall his ever be- being having beaten any of us. I was afraid of the pain that I should cause him. But I felt that the risk should be taken, that there could not be a cleansing without a clean confession. I decided to la- at last to write out the confession to submit it to my father and ask his for forgiveness. I wrote it on a slip of paper and handed it to him myself. In this note, not only did I confess my guilt, but I asked adequate punishment for it and closed with the request to him not to punish himself for my offense. I also pledged myself never to steal in the future. I was trembling as, my, as I handed the confession to my father. He was then suffering from Fitzula and was committed to bed. His bed was a plain wooden plank. I handed in the note and sat opposite the plank. He read it through and pearls, pearl drops trickled down his cheeks, wetting the paper. For a moment, he closed his eyes in thought and then tore up the note. He had set up to read it. He again lay down. I also cried. I could see my father's agony. If I were a painter, I could draw a picture of my of the whole scene today. It is so vivid in my mind. Those pearl drops of love cleansed, cleansed my heart and washed away my the sin. Only he who has experienced such love can know what it is, as the hymn says. Only he who is smitten who is smitten with the arrow of love knows its power. This was, for me, an object lesson in Ahimsa. 
then i could read it i could read in it nothing more than a father's love but today i knew i know that it was pure ahimsa when such ahimsa becomes all embracing it transforms everything it touches there is not no limit to the power <coughs> this sort of sublime forgiveness was not natural to my father i had thought that he would be angry say hard say hard things and strike his forehead but he was so wonderfully peaceful and i believe that this was due to my clear clean confession a clean confession combined with a promise never to commit the scene again when offered before one who has the right who has the right to receive it is the purest type of repentance i know that my confession made my father feel absolutely safe about me and increased his affection for me beyond measure the time of which i am now speaking about is my 16th year my father as we have seen was bedridden suffering from a fistula my mother an old servant of the house and i were his principal attendants i had the duty duties of a nurse which mainly consisted in dressing the wound giving my father his medicine and compounding drugs whenever they had to be made up at home every night i m- massaged his legs and retired only when he asked me to do so or after he had fallen asleep i loved to do this service i do not remember ever having neglected it all the time at my disposal after the performance of the daily duties was divided between school and attending on my father i would only go out for an evening walk either when he permitted me or when he was feeling well this was also the time when my wife was expecting a baby a circumstance which i can see today meant a double shame for me for one thing i did not restrain myself as i should have done while i was yet a student and secondly this carnal lust got the better of me and got the better of what i regarded my as my duty to study and of what was what was even a greater duty my devotion to my parents shravana shravan had been my idol since childhood every night whilst my hands were busy massaging my father's legs my mind was hovering about the bedroom and that too at a time when religion medical science and common sense alike forbade sexual intercourse i was always 
glad to be relieved from my duty and went straight to the bedroom after doing after doing obeisance to my father at the same time my father was getting worse every day ayurvedic physicians had tried all the ointments akims their plasters and local quacks their nostrums an english surgeon and also used his skill as the last and only resort he had recommended a surgical operation but my family physician came in the way he disapproved of the operation being performed at such an advanced age the physician was competent and well known and his advice prevailed the operation was abandoned and various medicines purchased for the purpose was or of no account i have an impression that if a physician had allowed the operation the wounds would have easily healed the operation was also to be performed by a surgeon who was then well known in bombay but god had willed otherwise when death is imminent who can think of the right remedy my father returned from bombay with all the paraphernalia of the operation which was now useless he despaired of living any longer he was getting weaker and weaker until at last he was he had to be asked to perform the necessary functions in bed but up to the last he refused to do anything of the kind always insisting on going through the strain of leaving the bed the vaishnavite rules about external cleanliness are so in exorable such cleanliness is quite essential no doubt but western medical science has taught us that all the functions including a bath can be done in bed with the strictest with the strictest regard to cleanliness and without the slightest discomfort to the patient the bed always remaining spotlessly clean i should regard such such cleanliness as quite consistent with vaishnavism but my father's insistence on leaving the bed only struck me with wonder then and i had nothing but admiration for it the dreadful full night came the dreadful night came my fa- my uncle was then in rajkot i have a faint recollection that he came to rajkot having had the news that my father was getting worse my brothers were deeply attached to him my uncle would sit, sit near my father's bed the whole day and would insist on sleeping by his bedside after sending us all to sleep no one had dreamt that this was to be the fateful night the danger of course was there it was 10:30 or 11 pm i was give, giving the massage my uncle offered to relieve me i was glad and went straight to the bedroom my wife poor thing was fast asleep but how could she sleep when i was there i woke her up in 5 or 6 minutes however
the servant knocked at the door i started with alarm get up he said father is very ill i know knew of course that he was very ill and so i guessed what very ill meant at that time i sprang out of bed what is the matter do tell me father is no more so all was over i had hello guys episode number 4 part number 2 here we go so all was over i had nothing but to wring my hands i felt deeply ashamed and miserable i ran to my father's room i saw that if animal passion had not blinded me i should have been spared the torture of separation from my father during his last moments i should have been massaging him and he would have died in my arms but now it was my uncle who had this privilege he was so deeply devoted to his elder brother that he had earned the honor of doing him his last service my father had forewarnings of this coming event he had made a sign of for pen and paper and written prepare for the last rites he had them snapped the amulet of his arm and also got also his gold necklace of tulsi beads flung and flung them aside a moment after this he was no more the shame to which i have referred to in a foregoing episode was the shame of my carnal desire even at this critical hour of my father's death which demanded wakeful service it is a blot that i have never been able to forget and i have always thought that my although my devotion to my parents knew no bounds i would have given up anything for it yet it was weighed and found unpardonably wanted because my mind was at the same moment in the grip of lust i have therefore always regarded myself as a lustful though a faithful husband it took me long to get free from the shackles of lust and i i had to pass through many ordeals before i could overcome it before i close this chapter of my double shame i may mention that the poor mite that was born to my wife scarcely breathed 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 uh for more than 3 or 4 days nothing else could be expected let us let all those who are married to be warned by my example from from my 6th or 7th year up to my 16th i was at school being taught all the things all the sort of things 
except religion i may say that i failed to get from the teachers what they could have given me without any effort on their part and yet i kept on picking up things here and there from my surroundings the term religion i am using in the broadest sense meaning therefore self realization or knowing the of the self being born in the vaishnav faith i had often to go to the haveli but it never appealed to me i did not like its glitter and pomp also i heard rumors of immorality being practiced there and lost all interest in it however hence i could not i could gain nothing from the haveli but what i failed to get there i obtained from my house from my nurse an old servant of the family whose affection for me is i still recall i have said b- before that there was in me a fear of ghosts and spirits ramba for that was a name suggested as a remedy for this fear the, the reputation of the ramayana of the ramanama ramnam i have i had more fear most faith more faith in her than in her remedy and so at a tender age i began repeating ramnama ramnam to cure my fear of ghosts and spirit this was of course short lived but the good news the seed the good seed sown in my childhood was not sown in vain i think it is due to the seed sown by that good woman ramba that today ramnam is an infallible remedy for me just about this time a cousin of mine who was a devotee of the ramayana arranged from my second brother and me to learn ram raksha we got it by heart and made it a rule to recite it every morning before after the bath the practice was kept up as long as we were in porbandar as soon as we reached rajkot it was forgotten for i had not much belief in it i i recited it partly because of my pride of being able to ram to recite ram raksha with correct pronunciation what however left a deep impression on me was the illness my father was was the reading of the ramayana before my father during part of his illness my father went to porbandar there every evening he used to listen to the ramayan the reader was a great devotee of rama ladha maharaja of bileswar it was said of him that he cured himself of his leprosy leprosy not by any medicine but by applying 
to the affected parts bilwa leaves which had been cast away after being offered to the image of mahadev in bileshwar temple and by regular repetition of mahade uh, of the ramayana of of the ram naam sorry my apologies my apologies ram naam uh, his faith it was said had made him whole this may or may not be true we at any rate believed the story and it is a fact that when lada maharaj began his reading the ramayana his body was entirely free from leprosy he had a melodious voice he would sing the dohas and chopais and explain them losing himself in the discourse and carrying his listeners around along along with him i must have been 13 at that time but i quite remember being enraptured by his reading that laid the foundation of my deep devotion to the ramayana today i regard ramayana of tulsidas as the greatest book in the devotional literature a few moment a few months after this we came to rajkot there was no ramayana reading there the bhagavad gita used to be read on every ekadashi day sometimes i arranged the reading but the, but the reciter was uninspiring today i see that the bhagavad gita is a book which can evoke religious fervor i have read it in gujarati with intense interest but when i heard portions of the original read by the, by pandit madan mohan malviya during my 21 days past fast i wished i had heard it in my childhood from such a devotee as he is so that i could have formed a liking for it at an early age impressions formed at that age strike roots deep down into one's nature and it is perpetual it it is my perpetual regret that i was not fortunate enough to hear more good books of this kind read during that period in rajkot however i got an early grounding in, in toleration for all branches of hinduism and sister religions for my father and mother would visit the haveli and also shivas and rama's temple we and would take us take or send us youngsters there jain monks would also would pay frequent visits to my father and would even go out of their way to accept foods from us non jains they would have talked with my father on subjects like on subjects religious and non religious he had besides musliman and parsi friends who would talk about them about their talk with him about their own faiths he would listen to them always with respect and often with interest being his nurse i often had the chance of to be present at these talks 
these many things combined to inculcate in me a, a toleration for all faiths only christianity at that was at the time an exception i developed a sort of dislike for it and for a reason and in those days christian missionaries used to stand in a corner near the high school and hold forth pouring abuse on hindus and their gods i could not endure this i must have stood there to hear them only once but that was enough to dissuade me from repeating the experiment about the same time i heard of a well known hindu having been converted to christianity it was the talk of the town that when he was baptized 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 when he was when he was baptized he had to eat beef and drink liquor that he also had to change his clothes and thenceforth he began to go about in european costumes including a hat these things got on my nerves surely enough i a religion that compelled one to eat beef drink liquor change one's clothes did not deserve the name i also heard that the new convert had already begun abusing the religion of his ancestors and the customs and their country all these things created in me a dislike for christianity but the fact that i had learned to be tolerant to other religions did not mean that i have living faith i had any living faith in god i happened about this time to come across manusmriti which is which was amongst my father's collection the story of the creation and similar things in it did not impress me very much but on the contrary made me inclined somewhat towards atheism there was a cousin of mine still alive for whose intelligence i had great regards to him i turned with my doubts and he could but he could not resolve them he sent me away with this answer when you grow up you will be able to solve these doubts yourself these questions ought not to be raised at your age i was silenced but i was silenced but not comforted comfort uh, but i was not not comforted chapters about diet and the like in manusmriti seemed to me to run contrary to daily practice to my doubts as to this also i got the same answer with with intellect with intellect more developed and with more reading i shall understand it better i said to myself manusmriti at any rate did not uh, then teach me ahimsa i have told the story of me my meat eating manusmriti manusmriti seems to support it i also felt that it was quite moral to kill serpents bugs and the likes i remember to have killed at that age bugs and such other insects regarding it as a duty but one thing took deep root in me the conviction 
the conviction that morality is the basis of things and that truth is the substance of all morality truth became my sole objective it began to grow in magnitude every day and my definition of it also has been ever widening a gujarati didactic stanza stanza likewise gripped my mind and heart its percept return good for evil became my guiding li- guiding principle in life it became such a passion for me that i began numerous experiments in it here are those wonderful lines for a bowl of water give a goodly meal meal for a kindly greeting bow thou with down with zeal for a simple penny pay thou back with gold if thy life be rescued life do not withhold thus the words and actions of the wise regard every little service tenfold they reward but the truly noble know all men as one and return with gladness good for evil done thank you very much for your time this is the end of the uh, fourth chapter part 2 well welcome to the fifth episode of my podcast on gandhi ji and here we start the fifth episode i passed the matriculation the matriculation examination in 1887 it then used to be held at two centers ahmedabad and bombay general poverty of the country natu- naturally led katiawad students to prefer the nearer and cheaper center the poverty of my family likewise dictated me to the same choice this was my first journey from rajkot to amdavad and dad too without a companion my elders wanted me to pursue my studies at college after the matriculation there was a college in bhavnagar as well as in bombay and as the former was cheaper i decided to go there and join the samaldas college i went but found myself entirely at sea everything was difficult i could not follow let alone taking interest in the professor's lectures it was no fault of theirs the professor of that of that college were regarded as first rate but i was so raw at, at the end of the first term i returned home we had in mauji the way who was a shrewd and learned brahman an old friend and advisor of the family he had kept 
up his connection with the family even after my father's death he happened he happened to visit us during my vacation in conversation with my mother and my elder brother he inquired about my studies learning that i was at samaldas college he said the times have changed and none of you can expect to succeed to your father's gaddi gaddi without having a proper education now as this boy is still pursuing his studies you should all look to him to keep the gaddi it will take him 4 or 5 years to get his ba degree which will at best qualify him for a 60 rupees post not for a not for a divanship if like my son he went in for law he would ta- it would take him still longer by which time there would be a host of lawyers aspiring for a divan's post i would far rather that you send him to england my son kevalram says it was is very easy to become a barrister in 3 years time he will return also expenses will not exceed 4 or 5000 rupees think of that barrister who has just come back from england how stylish he lives how he could get the divanship for the asking i would strongly recommend you to send mohandas to england this very year kevalram has numerous friends in england he will give notes of introductions to them and mohandas will have an easy time in there joshi ji that is how we called old mauji the way turned to me with complete assurance and asked would you not rather go to england than study here nothing could have been more welcome to me i was fighting shy of my difficult studies so i jumped at the at the proposal and said that the, that the sooner i was sent the better it was not it was no easy business to pass examinations quickly could i not be sent to qualify for the medical profession my brother interrupted me father never liked it he had you in mind when he said we vaishnavs should have nothing to do with dissection of dead bodies father intended you to father intended you for the bar joshi ji chimdin i am not opposed to the medical profession as was gandhi ji our shastra was our shastra are not against it but a medical degree will not make you divan and i want you to be divan or if possible something better only in that way could you take under your under your protecting care your large family the times are fast changing 
and getting harder every day it is the wisest thing therefore to become a barrister turning to my mother he said now i must leave pray ponder on or what i have said when i come here next i shall expect to hear of the preparations for england be sure to let me know if i can assist you in any way joshi ji went away and i began building castles castles in in air my elder brother was greatly exercised in his mind how was he to find the wherewithal to send me and was it proper to trust a young man like me to go abroad alone my mother was sorely perplexed she did not like the idea of parting with me this is how she tried to put me off uncle she said is now the eldest member of the family he should first be consulted if he consents we will consider the matter my brother had another idea he said to me we have a certain claim on the porbandar state on the porbandar state mr lely is the administrator he thinks highly of our family and uncle in his, is in his good books it is just possible that he might recommend you to some state help for education in england i liked all this and got ready to start off for porbandar there was no there was no railways in those days it was a five day bullock cart journey i have already said that i was a coward but at that moment my coward eyes my coward eyes vanished before the desire to go to england which completely possessed me i hired a bullock cart as far as dhoraji and from dhoraji i took a camel in order to get to porbandar at dekwikar this was my first camel ride i arrived at last did obisans to my uncle and told him everything he thought it over and said i am not sure whether it is possible for one to stay in england without prejudice to one's own religion from all i have heard i have my doubts when i meet these big barristers i see no difference between their life and that of europeans they know no scruples regarding food cigars are never out of their mouth they dress as shamelessly as englishmen all that would not be keeping in keeping with our family tradition i am shortly going on a pilgrimage and how many years and i have not, not many years to live as at the threshold of death how dare i give you permission to go to england to cross the seas but i will not stand in your way it is your mother's permission which really matter matters if she permits you then god speed tell her i will not interfere you will go with my blessings i could expect nothing more from you said i i will i shall now i shall now try to win mother mother over but would you not recommend me to mr lely how can i do that 
he said what is a good man you ask for an appointment telling him you are connect how you are connected he will certainly give you one and may even help you i cannot say why my uncle did not give me a note of recommendation i have a faint idea that he hesitated to cooperate directly in my going to england which is which was his opinion and irreligious act i wrote to mr lely who asked me to see him at his residence he saw me as he was ascending the the staircase and said curtly pass your ba first and then see me no help can be given you now he hurried up, upstairs i had made elaborate elaborate preparations to meet him i had carefully learned up a few sentences and had bowed low and saluted him with both hands but all to no purpose i thought of my wife's ornaments i thought of my elder brothers in whom i had the utmost faith he was generous to a fault and he loved me as his own i returned to rajkot from porbandar and reported all that had happened i consulted joshi ji who of course advised even incurring a debt if necessary i suggested the disposal of my wife's ornaments which could fetch about 2 to 3000 rupees my brothers promised to find the money somehow my mother however was still unwilling she had begun making minute inquiries someone had told her that young men get get lost in england someone else had said that they took take to meat and yet another that they could not live without liquor how about all this shocks me i said will you not trust me i shall not lie to you i swear that i i shall not touch any of these things if there were any such dangers would joshi ji have let me go i can trust you she said so how can i trust you in a distant land i am dazed and no and i know i don't know what to do i'll ask bechara bechar ji swami bechar ji swami was originally a mod banya but had now become a jain monk he too was a family advisor like joshi ji he came to my help and said i shall i shall get the boy solemnly to take the three vows and then he can be allowed to go he administered the oath i vowed not to touch wine women and meat this done and my mother gave me her permission the high school had a send off in my honor it was an uncommon thing for a young man of rajkot to go to england i had written out a few words of thanks but i could scarcely stammer them out i remember how my head reeled and how my whole frame shook as i stood up to read them with blessings of my elders i started for bombay this was my first journey from rajkot to bombay my brother accompanied me but there is many a slip twist a cup and lip there were difficulties to be faced in bombay with my mother's permission and blessings i set off ex 
incompetently for Bombay, leaving my wife uh, with a bomb with a baby of a few months. But on arrival there, friends told my brother that the Indian Ocean was rough in June and July, and as this was my first voyage, I should not be allowed to sail until November. Someone also reported that a steamer had just been sunk in a gale. This made my brother uneasy, and he refused. And he refused to take the risk of allowing me to sail immediately, leaving me with a friend in Bombay. He returned to Rajkot to resume his duty. He put his money for my travel expense in the keeping of a brother-in-law and left word with some friends to give me whatever help I needed. Time hung heavily on my hands in Bombay. I dreamed, I dreamt continuously of going to England. Meanwhile. my caste people were agitated over my going abroad more no modbania had been to england up to now and if i dared to go so i ought to be brought to book a general meeting of the caste was called and i was summoned to appear before it i went how i suddenly managed to muster up courage i don't know nothing daunted and without the slightest of hesitation i came be- before the meeting the said the headman of the community who was distantly related to me and had been on very good terms with my father thus accosted me in the opinion of this caste your proposal to go to england is not proper our religion forbids voyages abroad you also heard that it is not possible to live there without compromising our religion one is obliged to eat and drink with europeans to which i replied i don't think that it is against our religion to go to england i intend going there for further studies and i have already solemnly promised to my mother to abstain from three things you fear most i am sure the vow will keep me safe but we tell you rejoined the sage that this is it is not impo- possible it is not possible to keep our religion there you know my relationships with the father and you ought to listen to my advice i know those relations said i as and you are an as elder and you are as an elder to me but i am helpless in this matter i cannot alter my resolve to go to england my father's friend and advisor Oh, the learned Brahmin sees no objection oh, <coughs> to my going to England, and my mother and brother have also given me their permission. But will you disregard the order of the caste? I am really helpless. I think the caste should not interfere in the matter. This incensed the Shade. He swore at me. I said unmoved. The Shade. So the Shade pronounced. his order this boy shall be treated as an outcast from today whoever helps him or goes to see him off at the dock shall be punishable with a fine of 1 rupee 4 rupees the order had no effect on me and i took my leave of the seat but i wondered how my brother would take it fortunately he remained firm and wrote to 
assure me that I had his permission to go, the Sait's order notwithstanding. The incident, however, made me more anxious than ever to sail. What would happen if they succeed in bringing pressure to bear or bear, bear on my brother? Supposing something unforeseen happens, I was thus worried, worrying about my over my predicament. I heard that a Junagadh Vakil was going to England for being called to the bar by a Jew, both sailing on the 4th of September. I met my friends to whose care my brother had commended me. They also agreed that I should not let go the opportunity of going in such company. There was no time to be lost. I wired to my brother for permission which he granted. I asked my brother-in-law to give me the money, but he referred to the order of the state and said that he could not afford to lose caste. I then sought a friend of the family and requested to accommodate me to the extent of my passage and sundries and sunrise and to recover the loan from my brother. The friend was not only good enough to accede to my request, but he cheered me up as well. I was so thankful with the part of the money with part of the money I had once purchased the passage. I then had to equip myself for the voyage. There was another friend who had experience in the matter. He got clothes and other things ready. Some of the clothes I liked and some I did not like at all. The, ni- the necktie which I delighted in wearing later, I then uh, abhorred. The short jacket which I looked upon at, at, as immo- immodest. But this dislike was nothing before the desire to go to England, which was uppermost in me. Of provisions also, I had enough and to spare for the voyage. A berth was reserved for me by my friends in the same cabin as that of Sergeant Trimbakairai Mazumdar, the Junagadh Vakil. They also commended me to him. He was an experienced man. He was matured and he knew the world. I And I was yet a stripling of 18 without any experience of the world. Sajid Majmudar told SJT Majmudar told my friends not to worry about me. I sailed at last from Bombay on the 4th of September. I did not feel at all seasick, but as the days passed, I became fidgety. I felt shy even in speaking to the steward. I was quite 
unaccustomed to talking English and except for SJT Majmudar, all the other passengers in the second saloon were English. I could not speak to them or I could rarely follow their remarks when they came up to me to speak to me and even when I understood I could not reply. I had to frame every sentence in my mind before I could bring it out. I was innocent of the use of knives and forks and had not and I did not have the boldness to inquire what dishes on the menu were free of meat. I de- therefore never took meals at table, always had them in my cabin and they consisted principally of sweets and fruits which I had brought with me. SJT Majmudar had no difficulty and he mixed with everybody. He would move about freely on deck while I hid myself in the cabin the whole day, only venturing up the night deck when there were few people. SJT Majmudar kept pleading with me to associate with the passengers and to talk with them freely. He told me that the lawyers should have a long tongue and and related to me his legal experiences. He advised me to take every possible opportunity of talking English and not to mind making mistakes which were obviously unavoidable with a foreign tongue. But nothing could make me conquer my shyness. An English passenger taking kindly to me drew me into conversation. He was older than me. He asked me what I ate, what I was, where I was I going, why was I shy and so on. He also advised me to come to table. He laughed at my instance on abjuring meat and said in a friendly way, when we were in the Red Sea, it is all very well so far, but you will have to revise your decision in the Bay of Biscay. And it is so cold in England that one cannot possibly live there without meat. But I have heard that people can live there without eating meat, I said. Rest assured, it is a fib, he said. No one, to my knowledge, lives there without being a meat eater. Don't you see that I am not asking you to take liquor though? I do so, but I do think that you should eat meat for you cannot live without it. I thank you for your kind advice, but I have solemnly promised to my mother not to touch meat and therefore I cannot think of taking it. If it is found impossible to get on without it, I will rather, I will far, far rather go back to India than eat meat in order to remain there. We entered the Bay of Biscay, but I did not begin to feel the need of either meat or liquor. I had been advised to collect certificates of my having abstained from meat and I asked the English friend to give me one. He gladly gave it and I treasured it for for some time. But when I saw later that one could get such a certificate in spite of being a meat eater, it lost all its charm for me. If my words were not to be trusted, where was the use of, of possessing a certificate in the matter? However, we reached Southampton as far as I remember on a Saturday. 
on the boat i had worn a black suit the white flannel one that my friends had got me having be been kept especially for wearing when i landed i had thought that white clothes would suit me better when i stepped ashore and therefore i did so in white flannels those were the last days of september and i found i was the only one person wearing such clothes i left in charge of an agent of grindelay and co and company all my kit including the keys seeing that many others had done the same and i must follow suit i had four notes of introductions to dr pj pj mehta to sjt dalpatram shukla to prince prince ranjit singh ji and to dada bhai navroj ji someone on board had advised us ranjit singh ji is ranjit singh ji the legendary cricketer ranjit singh ji someone on board had advised us to put up at the victoria hotel in london sjt madmudar and i accordingly went there the shame of being the only person in my clothes was already too much for me and then when at the hotel i was told that i should not get my things from grindelwald the next day it being a sunday i was expired dr mehta to whom i had wired from southampton called at about it called at about 8 in the evening he gave me a hearty greeting he smiled at my being in flannels and when and we as we were talking i casually picked up his top hat and trying to see how smooth it was passed my hand over it the wrong way and disturbed the fur dr mehta looked somewhat angrily at what i was doing and stopped me but the mischief had been done the incident was a warning for the future this was my first lesson in in european etiquette into the details of which dr mehta humorously narrated me do not touch other person's things he said do not ask questions as we usually do in india on our first acquaintance do not talk loudly never address people as sir while speaking to them as we do in india only servants and subordinates address their master that way and so on and so on and so on he also told me that it is it was very expensive to live in a hotel and recommended that i should live with a private family we deferred consideration of the matter until monday sjt madmudar and i found the hotel to be a trying affair it was also very expensive there was however a sindhi fellow passenger from malta who had become friends 
with S.J.T. Mazmudar, and as he was not a stranger to London, he offered to find rooms for us. We agreed, and on Monday, as soon as we got our baggage, we paid up our we paid up our bills and went to the rooms rented for us by the Sindhi friend. I remember my hotel room came, uh, bill, my hotel bill came to three dollars. An amount which shocked me, and I had practically starved in spite of this heavy bill, for I could relish nothing. And I, while I did not like one thing, I asked for another, but I had to pay for both just the same. The fact is that all this while I had depended on the provisions which I had brought with me from Bombay. I was very uneasy even in my new rooms, even in the new rooms. I would continuously think of my home and country. My mother's love always haunted me. At nights, at night the tears would stream down my cheeks and home memories of all sorts made me sleep out of the question. Made sleep out of the question. It was impossible to share my misery with anyone and if I could have done so what was where was the use I knew of nothing that would soothe me everything was strange the people their ways and even their dwellings I was a complete novice in the matter of English etiquette and continuously had to be on the guard there was the additional inconvenience of the ve- vegetarian wow. Even the dishes that I could eat were tasteless and insipid. I thus found myself between Skilia and Cherabidis, England. I could not bear, but to return to India was not the, not to be thought of. Now that I had come, I must finish the three years, said the inner voice.